This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, September 8th. Within a decade, Colm Delan, the New York-based founder and designer of streetwear sensation Kid Super, went from selling t-shirts out of his New York University dorm room to winning the Karl Lagerfeld Special Jury Prize at the LVMH Prize in 2021 and designing a one-off menswear collection for Louis Vuitton, which dropped in January of this year. But it wasn't a straight shot to success. Colum has had to learn the ropes of fashion the hard way, maxing out his bank account and taking risk after risk to figure out how to transform his creativity into a bona fide business. Through it all, he has focused on community building as an end goal. It's always funny when brands reach out to me and they're like, we love the community you created. I would always be like, they're creating community to sell product. I was selling product to create community. Like, what are you doing this for if it's not to meet interesting people? This week on the BOF Podcast, I sit down with Colm to discuss his journey and his lessons for emerging fashion designers and entrepreneurs everywhere. Here's Colm Delan on the BOF Podcast. Colm Delan, 
Welcome to the BOF podcast. We're ensconced here in this soundproof bunker near my hotel in New York City, and we saw each other last night at dinner. Did you enjoy dinner? We've prepped. Well, <laughs> I felt like some people were starting to ask the things I'm planning to ask you about today, but that gives me some leeway to enjoy the conversation and let it. I think it was, you know, pre-research. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now I know which questions to ask to get the best story. Exactly. But honestly, it's such a pleasure to have you with us because I came and met you at your studio in Brooklyn about eight months ago, seven months ago, and you were just kind of moving in or settling in. How's that going now? Well, also, you didn't know too much about Kid Super. I didn't know very much at all. I'd seen the the Vuitton show and. I heard a lot of things. You know, who kept talking to me about you is Diane Pernay. Diane is a fan of yours. That's kind of when I you kind of first came across my well, it, radar. It's always funny because in my mind, the business of fashion was quite you know the most elite of media for fashion, and so it's funny they were you know everyone was saying like Emron's coming over, blah blah, and you know you don't know what people are gonna be like, and so I was a little intimidated. And then you didn't know a lot about Kid Super, so I was like, oh man, what am I? But then you ended up being a pretty cool guy. Well, and well, your story's kind of similar to the Kid Super stories. So. Yeah, we're both fashion outsiders on the inside now, and maybe that's where we should start. I want to know what you were like growing up. I'd moved a ton when I was little, so from like four to twelve, I moved from. New York, Chicago, New York, Mexico, Wisconsin, New York, and I was seeing every not only different places, but like I was changing economic classes, I was changing social classes, I was changing races and everything. So by the age of twelve, I had seen so much of the world. And my mom was from Spain, my dad was from Ireland. They moved to America to kind of experiment and try new things, and so I was always moving. And this idea of Every day, I didn't know how long I was going to be there, and so I remember when I was like seven, it would be like, "I need to sleep over because I'm moving next year," or "I need to do this because I'm moving next year."、Mm. So I had this like, "Hi, I'm Colum. I'll never see you again. So let's make the most of this." And I was pretty outgoing, as I guess I still am, and I was kind of excited by life and had was really comfortable in a room. And so I would be like, "All right, I'm the new kid. Let's make the most of this," and then. At eleven, twelve, I moved back to New York City, and I'd lived previously in Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's like you bought your clothes, your groceries, and your bike at the local Walmart. And so fashion was like zero percent of interest to everyone. And what made you cool was kind of like sports, athletic, being loud. I guess were you all of the above? I was always good at sports. I was always very loud, but I was very, very. Prebubescent.、Yeah. I looked like I was six when I was twelve, so much so that when I went to high school, the dean of、uh, my high school came up to me and was like, "I'm so sorry that you're here." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "They keep letting like elementary kids in to the high school as a joke." And so I was 15 at the time. He thought I was eight,、oh. and they took me to the dean of my school, and I had to. Show my ID and prove that I was in fact fifteen. But there was a rumor that I was a boy genius. Then there was a rumor, like when I had a girlfriend in high school, I like would close my armpits so she wouldn't see that I didn't have armpit hair. That's what you said to Veronica Webb last night at dinner. <laughs> that was quite funny. So then, when did the fashion bug hit you? 
So I land in New York and everyone's like, why aren't you wearing Supreme or 10 Deep or Mishka or all these very streetwear brands? And I know nothing about these brands. And so I go to Supreme store and I'm in there and they kind of treat me like I'm not an insider, which I wasn't. But at the time, I'm 12. What do you mean they treated you like you weren't? Like I was asking a ton of questions and they were kind of like not answering, just like, how do you not know about this? Like, who are you? So they're basically being snobby. Very snobby. But at the time, that was like kind of the supreme MO of their store. But in my mind, I was like, I'm a young kid that's super interested in this. Like, that's kind of cool, wouldn't you think? And I also was 12, but I looked eight. So I remember being like, they're being mean to an (laughs) eight-year-old. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to buy these clothes. I'm going to make my own. And I was always really good at drawing and always quite artistic because my mom was always artistic. And so in high school at like 14, 15, I became like with a group of friends, the T-shirt kids, where we'd make T-shirts for your birthday. And then we got into screen printing. And then we were selling in our cafeteria. And it was what I loved about fashion was it was introducing me to all of these people. My mom moved to New York in the 70s, and she'd always talk about that era where everyone was an artist and collaborating, and they'd go to these parties, and then they'd all had studios, and they all had these lofts, and And I was like, man, I really want that energy. And how do you get a part of that? And how do you recreate that? And so clothing for me was kind of creating that where I was making T-shirts for album arts. I was making T-shirts for musicians, artists, all this stuff. And my network started growing and it kind of inspired me to keep going because it wasn't the success of fashion that I was after was meeting new people. And fashion, I know maybe people won't agree, but to me was the most democratic art form. Why do you think that? Because at 15, you're not buying someone's art. You're not investing in them to make a film. But you will give someone $15 for a T-shirt. And I had ironing boards on Soho where I was selling the shirts. And like, what could you sell at that age, at that time that people would buy? It's pretty cool, but I'd set it up in front of Soho, in front of like Bape, or Louis Vuitton, or all of these stores, and I would stand in front of their lines, and I would try to get people from the lines. And looking back now, it's pretty amazing that I'm now in those stores. Both of those brands want to collaborate with me. It's pretty crazy. So part of the instinct or the kind of draw to fashion came from the the opportunity to be creative and meet people. Yeah. It sounds like part of it is also like you're kind of a natural born entrepreneur slash hustler slash you'll do anything to make it work. I thrived at the hustle and I loved the hustle and bustle. And it was kind of, again, growing up in New York City, my vision of what New York City was, was hustling. And so like my mom coming here from Spain and trying to make it as like a artist person and then my dad coming here from Ireland and trying to make it, it was always, that was instilled in me and it was what I found exciting. And I also love the ideas like no one moved to New York City to chill. It's not where you're going to build a house and a family. It's like I moved to New York City to make it, whatever it is. And if you didn't move it to make it, your parents did and to give you a better life. And so it was like... Every little opportunity or little bit of hustle kind of shed a little bit more light into more opportunities. So I got uh, obsessed with it. I remember the first time I spoke to someone on Alibaba. 
which is the Chinese website to manufacture literally anything. And I remember them responding. And then I was like, okay, can I get a sample for hats? And then when the hats came, I was like, this was the most like door opening thing. I'm like, wait, anything on this site I can try to make? And I remember like, I'm probably 17, 18, and I'm talking on like WhatsApp or WeChat and or email and I'm like, what's the craziest thing you can make? And they're like, well, I don't make it, but my neighbor can make a computer. And I was like, should I just start Apple? <laughs> and so like, you get really excited. And again, like when I was moving a ton, you, I didn't have like a home base. And so like finding my community or whatever was kind of like the goal a little bit subconsciously, not actively. And it's always funny when brands reach out to me and they're like, we love the community you created. I would always be like, they're creating community to sell product. I was selling product to create community. My goal was the community. So like, what are you doing this for if it's not to meet interesting people? You're 17, 18. You've been hustling for about five years now. T-shirt business, yeah. selling stuff on the street. Then you got to NYU and you studied math. Even before that, after high school, I deferred for a year to go play soccer in Brazil. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So then I'm in Brazil playing soccer and the professional soccer lifestyle is like, you train in the morning, you train uh, maybe again in the afternoon, or you work out, and then you have so much time off. It's a big mental time off, which I think other professions don't have, where it's like, even when you're off, you're still thinking, especially you, you're still thinking about what we can do. With sports, it's like, you're truly mentally resting, because you're like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. There isn't so much more I can think about. You don't seem like the kind of guy whose mind rests, though. So then I was like, okay, I've got all this time. I'm going to start designing clothes still or continue designing clothes. So I had, like, built a website in, like, uh, one of those, like, Wix websites early on. And then I had all these brand ideas. And I was just doing them uh, in Brazil. And so when I went back to NYU, which I had gotten in for mathematics, I was like ready to hit the ground running. And I think deferring for a year, you know, when you're young, you're questioning everything and existence and all those things. The year off really, I was like, okay, I, I really tried the soccer thing. I was good, but not great. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should go to college. But if I go to college, I have to make it worthwhile. And so I was really, really focused at a young age in college where I was like, I'm gonna use all the opportunities that college has and I'm gonna launch Kid Super. When did Kid Super like officially launch? Officially is a strong one, but maybe 2011. 2011 is when I bought kidsuper.com, which was a huge turning point for me where it was like, what's the name going to be? Because, you know, when you pick a name, it's hard. And I had already had like three names in high school, but kidsuper.com was available. And I remember being like, all right, well, this is good. That's and a sign. It's a sign and it's like, you know, kidsuper.co, a lot of the early streetwear brands, it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah. You need a .com. Yeah. Now it's impossible. So you register at NYU to study math. You're in the dorms, but you continue doing Kidsuper. So not only am I in the dorms, I'm like, I need someone who can build websites because I need a website because I couldn't figure out how to sell to people that weren't your friend. And so a kid on my soccer team, I play soccer at NYU's roommate builds websites. And this is the great thing for young people is like, young people are so 
excited about helping and doing. You don't have to pay anyone. You don't have to, you're all in it together. And so I was like, let's build this website. Yeah. And so I doodled this website. It's actually looking back on it, it was a really cool, it's probably a cooler website than I have now because it was all the buttons and everything was hand doodled and drawn. And so it was clickable and pretty fun. And so I do this, I make this website. I'm like, okay, I need a full collection, which at the time I was two t-shirts, a long sleeve, a crew neck sweater, and this hat that I had made in China. But the hat was this first time I had cut and sewn and done like manufacturing. The rest I was printing on Gildan, which for everyone out there, I still think Gildan blanks are amazing. Blanks? Yeah. Like, is that like a competitor to American Apparel? What American yes. Apparel used American Apparel's more high end. Okay. People get roasted for using Gildan. But you think it's amazing? I still think it's amazing. A like 10 time washed Gildan t-shirt, you can't beat. And so anyways, I have this website and I'm like, I'm a real brand. Like there's more than one item here and it looks complete. And so I'm like, how do you get people to find your website? Yeah. And so early on, I started gifting clothes to young musicians. They'd hit me up and say, we want to wear this. I'd wear this. And so I started getting- How did you meet them? Again, if you start doing stuff, everyone starts talking about it. And so early on, one of my friends from soccer was like, I have a friend who's doing music. Would you want to give it to them? And I was like, of course, I'll give anything to anything. And then Mac Miller was like at the time a quite popular rapper in my same age. And so I messaged his friend on Facebook and I was like, hey, man, I think you'll like this. And they were like, yeah, we love it. Like, send us a box. And this was a, a pretty important thing, I always wanted to meet people. So I would never send clothing, I would send myself. And so I go, well, next time in your New York, I'll just bring it to you. And they were like, we're in New York now, and come over. And so I came over and met Mac Miller very early on, and he was shooting a music video. And he put on all the clothes, and I was like, oh my God, my clothes are gonna be in this music video. This is big for me, probably get like, 10 million views or a couple million views. And then the director comes in and it's like, oh, the mafia scene starts. Everyone get in their mafia clothes. And I was like, what's the chances that it's a mafia? So they all put on like, you know, suits. And so then I'm like, oh man, I missed the opportunity of uh, music video. But I was again, like so excited meeting people. And then fast forward three months, he drops his first debut album called Blue Slide Park. The album art is a painting but the pictures that go with it, he's wearing the kid super hat. And so I'm on the homepage of iTunes. Wow. And so I'm calling my mom, I'm like, mom, look, this is the hat that I made in China. And it had a floral brim, which yeah. was my like real big design addition. You couldn't really see that it was a kid super hat, but you knew it was special. And again, a little sign of success early on that didn't lead to anything financial, but was like, if I can get here, imagine where I can go. And so I always was going full throttle with it, but I just got like a kind of battery backpack and was just super excited. So then sophomore year, because you're a soccer player, you get to pick your dorms first in NYU. And I wanted a personal dorm that was in a cool building. You mean with no roommates or whatever? Well, I had a room within... So there was some dorm rooms had... Inside one room, there was three rooms, and one of those rooms was a personal one. And so I and all the soccer players, I was like, okay, let me get the personal one because I'm gonna convert it into a store. 
and they were like, everyone of my friends was super invested in the brand, and they're like, of course. And so I converted my sophomore year dorm into a store. And so I had these racks of clothing with all of it, and I'd spray painted the walls, and I'd basically, if you were an NYU student or anyone off the street, I'd sign you in and bring you to my dorm store, and I'd sell clothes. You know, one of the kids I met, they were producers that were studying at Clive Davis at NYU. And now, I think in 2020, they were the number one producers in the world. And I knew them from NYU because they were doing beats and I was doing this. And it was just kind of two entrepreneurial hustlers got together. And we've collaborated a million times and are best friends. But now they're worldwide successful and I'm getting decently successful. And so, again, the thing that I was really searching for and loving was like the meeting new people. Obviously, I loved fashion and I loved how tangible it was, right? You work on something and then you are physically participating with it. That's amazing. So what happened when you were like about to leave NYU? Did you finish your degree? I graduated in three years with a math degree. I'm not a quitter. So that was a huge thing. I'm still playing soccer, still trying to get a tryout. Probably need like sixth division now, not first division. But who's ever listening, I'll design the jerseys. <laughs> hey, the soccer teams or football teams are now hiring creative directors. Oh, so trust like, me, I know. Yeah. Fast forward to today. Clearly, you, you turned something from nothing into something. Today, why does the fashion industry need Kid Super? I mean, obviously, I'm biased. But I think... For many reasons, I guess I'll split it up into different ways. Like on an inspirational level for a young designer, I think there aren't too many brands that you can follow the footsteps so clearly that is Kid Super. Because one, I've never deleted an Instagram post. So you can scroll down and see like me buying my first sewing machine or and, and kind of chronologically follow how I got here. And I think it's pretty cool for how far I've gotten. It shows... In my mind, when I was young, the fashion industry was the most like elitist, standoff, impossible thing to break into. And when you kind of enter into it, even you, I was very intimidated by, especially BOF. And, you know, you you have an accent, (laughs) very intimidating British accent. So I have a Canadian accent. What are you talking about? Well, Canadian accent. You have a British accent. No, I don't. Okay, (laughs) I want all of the podcast listeners around the world to tell me if I have a British accent or a Canadian accent. You can leave it in the comments. I didn't know where you were from, but that's even scarier. (laughs) You're like, he's well-traveled. But yeah, I mean, when you get in there, you realize that creativity and new ideas are kind of embraced and supported and championed more so than I thought it was. And the more I got into it, I was like, wow, this is, it's pretty amazing that they accepted me. I was really never thinking I was going to get accepted. I was just a streetwear designer that was going to do crazy things. When is the first moment that you felt accepted? When I got rejected from Federation de Haute Couture, because I was obsessed with them actually looking at me. To say no, they had to review it. So wait, what did you apply for that they were reviewing? So basically in 2018, I did my first Paris Fashion Week show. Mm -hmm. I know nothing about this. I don't know how people do it. I don't even know that you can get accepted or rejected. I have no idea. But I start talking to this French PR company that I met through 
So basically a stylist walks into the kid's superstore to pull some stuff and she's with her friend and I still work with the PR agency, but they're like, what's next? And I had done all this like album arts, stop motion music videos, art shows, all of these random creative things. And they're like, what's next? And at the time, I fully joking was like, of course, Paris Fashion Week. Like that is obviously where I'm going next. I hadn't even done a runway show. I hadn't even dropped like a collection consistently really. And she's like, okay, cool. You want to meet my French PR boss that helps do this for brands or Paris Fashion Week for brands. Again, I love meeting people. I'll meet anyone. And so I'm in the meeting and I didn't want to look stupid. And so he kept asking me what venue I want. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to act like I don't know anything. So I start talking about venues I want. And, you know, my mom's from Spain. I, feel, I like the idea, the iconography of bullfighting in Spain. And so I was like, what if it's a circular uh, instead of a straight catwalk? Because, again, I was always trying to do stuff a little bit different. Not that that's, like, revolutionary. But at, in my mind, I was like, the catwalks I'd seen were straight. Yeah. So I'll do a circular one. Miscommunication leads to him fully thinking I'm ready for a fashion show. And uh, I had called the brand Kid Super, and so everyone around me thought of me as this, like, superhero character that will try anything and might succeed. But in my head, I thought this was so far-fetched that we shouldn't try it. But everyone around me was like, okay, cool, I'm ready. And so I was like, I'm not going to be the guy who doubts me. And so I spent all the money I had in my bank account, which was like 100K. I got some sponsorship from Jägermeister to pay a little bit of the rest. And I was like, fuck it. If we're going to do this, let's go as big as possible. And so my first runway Paris Fashion Week show, my mom opens it walking because I didn't know where models came from. My dad walks it second. The rappers that early walked it third. I printed the rejection letter out on the first So wait, when you applied to be part of Paris Fashion Week, they rejected you. Yes. And that's when you're saying you felt accepted because they reviewed your application. Correct. And then you took that application and you put it on one of the looks in the show. So you just showed off schedule. Completely off schedule. But I wasn't even expecting to be in like remotely on schedule. Everyone's like, oh, sorry, you got rejected. I was like, it's Paris Fashion Week. The fact that they reviewed me was shocking. So anyways, I do this fashion show and I get this review from Vogue called Breakout Surprise of Men's Fashion Week, Kid Super. And it's this like crazy article. And I remember talking- Do you remember who wrote it? Yeah, Amy Werner. Oh yeah, of course. Amy's amazing. She's a fellow Canadian actually. Okay, see all these good people in Canada. So I let anyone come to the fashion show. So it was open to the public, but no one knows me in Paris. No one knows me in the world. So like, 50 people come to the show. So there's empty seats in it. But it's dark, so you don't really see that. And I remember talking to the French PR, which is Rep, Florent, and I go, we just need one person from Vogue. And I was like, I'll write her the nicest letter. I'll do anything. And he was like, to the last hour, we didn't know if someone. And then he goes, there's a woman in red from Vogue. And she has a red jacket, and it's Amy. And I'm like, we got someone from Vogue, like she's gonna review it. And I wasn't expecting the review. I was just, again, you're getting a little bit of hints of getting more accepted. So I get this amazing review and I'm like, okay, my life's fully changed. I'm now a superstar designer, right? After that review, nothing changes in my life. And you just spent like 100K on the show. I couldn't Uber home. My friends Ubered me home. One of my friends gave me like, I think his credit card for like that had like a pretty high ceiling. But I could always make more money because one, I I had a fan base already that was 
willing to buy like t-shirts, hoodies, blah, blah, blah. Which I always say to young designers, it's like starting small like that helps because at the end of the day, you always have this little bit of fan base that can support you. I also was making a lot, uh, not a lot, but like a decent amount of money doing art stuff. So I would do graphic design for things. I would do album arts, I'd do music videos. So there'd be often I'd like get my bank to zero, then I'd do something artistic for someone else, and then I'd get back up, and then I'd spend it all on the clothing. We'll be right back with more on the BOF Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 
So you come back from that show, broke. Broke, but with this great review. Right. And I'm like, because I had looked up how did Jeremy Scott become Jeremy Scott? Or how did Mark Jacobs? Because in my mind, these names had reached like almost bigger than human level. And you're like, how do you get there? And so I remember reading something about Jeremy Scott where he did like the gold show and it changed his life. And like the next day he was like this big fashion guy. And I'm like, is this my gold show? And literally nothing changed. So much so, so I get back to New York and there's New York Fashion Week. So I did it in June in Paris. Now it's September, which is where we are now. And everyone's like, Colm, you did that? Like, are you doing something for New York Fashion Week? And there's this organization called Wallplay that gave young artists storefront spaces that had worked with landlords that had vacant storefronts. And they gave it to young artists and you could do anything in them. And so I got this 20,000 square foot space in uh, Greenpoint. And I had done prior to that, I had, they had given me a smaller space and I had made a beautiful like theater out of it. I did so many things to get to where I am. But anyways, I get this 20,000 square foot space and I'm like, okay, I have no money, right? But I have this huge space. And what if I make it a space for everyone else? And so I put on my Instagram, everyone donate clothing. And I got Singer to donate 50 sewing machines. And anyone can come pull clothes from the pile, sew at my 50 station, and walk away with one-of-a-kind item that you, like, learn to sew and you participate. And this is a really cool perspective of New York Fashion Week. All of a sudden, like, 20 to 50 people start coming every day based on an Instagram post. But no one knows that I literally have no money and everything I have for free, even the clothes are donated. So these kids from the ages of 17 to like 40 come every day, like at 9 a.m. And they're looking at me like, so what are we doing? And I'm like, what if we make a fashion show out of this clothing? And I have like a giant, giant pile of clothes. So I made a hollow structure that I built, humongous. And it looked really cool. And so I start, I have all of these people coming in every day and they're all looking for me and they're like asking if they're getting paid or if there's a lunch. And I'm like, I didn't plan any of this. And so I get some sponsors to help out a little bit. Jägermeister helps out a little bit for me. And I start paying for lunches for people. And I'm like, okay, Fashion Week's a month away. On Fashion Week, we'll do a show where all the clothes are made out of this pile of stuff. You guys can all help participate in this. I'll help you design, and we'll have a runway show. So anyways, a month later, I do this amazing runway where, and since I had this hollow pyramid and the clothes on top, I edited it so that the models walked out of it. So they were walking out of this giant pile of clothing, wearing clothes made from it. So it was really cool. And what was really cool is like, I allowed anyone to enter into the fashion world. I was like, I'm gonna be reviewed so, so much for this one. I was like, the last one was cool, but this one is like sustainable, community, it had all the checks, right? And so no one reviews it. And I'm like, what just happened? I don't get one article about it. And 3,000 people show up to the show. And I remember talking, I'm like, why didn't I get reviewed by Vogue at least? They just wrote the same yeah. thing. And they go, Colin, this is the same season. Because when you did the men's show in June, so, and then you're trying to do the women's season in September. And it's, a, it's the same, it's, the same it's called Summer, Spring 2019 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we can't review you again. And I was like, who gives a fuck? This is the coolest fashion show ever. And so I remember being like, damn, okay. 
I'm like, are these fashion shows worth it? Does it make sense? I'm losing all this money. The reviews aren't coming, but I love them as a creative challenge. And again, I didn't really get into it for the financial stuff. I got into it because I loved meeting people and I love these creative challenges. So I'm like, Paris Fashion Week happens now in January. So I've done June, September, and now January is coming. I haven't dropped a collection. I'm bleeding. The only thing that's working is sponsorship. And I'm like, should I do this fashion show again? And I was like, Colm, are you really going to quit now? You called yourself Kid Super. You've got a math degree. You went to soccer. Like, you've never quit anything. You're not going to quit this because of no review. You were never expecting a review. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm doing another one. And so... The next one I do, it's called running as fast as you can. And the whole concept was like, it was really based on that thought if I'm going to do it or not. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to run as fast as I can. I'm going to be sprinting. I don't know where I'm going, but you're going to understand that I'm running. The first show was called Bull in a China Shop. And the idea was, I don't know if I belong here, but I'm going to break something or I'm going to make some noise. And I kind of ended up doing that. But anyways, the running as fast as you can, the concept for that was the models would step in paint. They would walk in a circle around this video cube that I had made. And then over time, you'd see the journey of the walk. And the last model was in a white suit and he was a break dancer. And so he'd break dance on the shoes and you'd leave a pattern. So it was a very cool concept, I thought, also very cheap, which is important. And right like an hour before the show, probably three hours before the show, the venue goes, you can't put paint on the ground. And I'm like, it's water paint and it's my whole concept. I was like, I'll do anything. I'll cover the ground. I'll do anything. They're like, if you cover the ground, it's okay. And so we cover the ground in all of this plastic, like clear plastic. And I didn't realize, but I create a human model slip and slide. Oh, no. <laughs> and when I'm telling you, it's not casual. It's every model is like slipping, 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 slipping. And to the point, there's one picture of a guy full vertical falling. Right? And and these models are French. And so they're like, who's ever fucking idea was this? It's so stupid. We are sleeping. Like they're all in backstage and I'm looking, they're like, yeah, what a dumb idea. And at the end, I come out and I've now for all my fashion shows, I do a speech at the end, which no fashion designer does. But I thought you had to explain it. And so I slide out and I go, sometimes you slip and fall but you always have to get up and run as fast as you can. And I tie the whole thing together. Everyone's applauding and Vogue comes up to me and they're like, the visceral nature of the slipping that you created was so important. <laughs> and I look at them and I'm like, I'm so glad you understood the concept. <laughs> it's one of those fashion moments where like, fashion people like make up some like thing in their head Super for something deep. that you could never have planned for, right? Like it just happened, so. But it was also, I remember being like, Again, the like outcome really wasn't that important to me. I was impressing myself over and over again. I was like, this is what's exciting. I don't even care about this review. So how do you, you, you get these reviews and clearly I'm sure all of this stuff played out on social media and yeah. became viral on social media. How do you turn that online buzz and kind of energy that you're creating on these shows into a real business? So... I was a very streetwear business. I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was always selling t-shirts, selling hoodies, selling kind of streetwear stuff. While I'm doing this, I'm really not selling stuff, but I'm doing a lot of art projects and I'm getting a lot of brand deals and I'm becoming more of like a creative. I was really taking like any check I would get from like 
if I did a music video, if I did this, I did this, I'd put it all into Kitsuper. But is that really a fashion business you're running then? Or is it a business that uses fashion to create buzz that then gives you other ways of earning money? Yeah, I mean, that was, for me, the way where it's working 100%. Because the fashion business I knew nothing about, and I was creating these, like, hype moments, but it wasn't, like, fashion hype moments. People weren't like, I need that product. They were more like, I think column is interesting. I guess none of it was very, like, strategic. It was more like, okay, they're not buying so, so much of the clothes, but I am making money over here, so, like, that works until I'll figure it out. And I I always, before I really focused on the Kid Super business, I was like, you need to understand the world. You need to understand who I am, who the brand is, what it stands for, the pillars of what the brand is, and then the money stuff will come. That's so smart because I think in the early stages of developing a career as a fashion designer, the most important thing is to find your creative voice. Yeah, and I think that was the thing I was best at. I was like, you know exactly what Kid Super is. You know who I am, you know the world. I have this theory called the coffee mug theory where you're a successful designer or creative when people know what your coffee mug would look like. So, like, if Rick Owens drops a coffee mug, we know exactly what... We could design it right now. If, you know, Virgil dropped a coffee mug, we kind of know what he would do. It would change it a little bit, make it kind of playful. And he'd put some, like, text on it. Exactly. That would say, like, coffee mug. Exactly. And we would all... And you could do it now. Kid Super, I think, also is getting there to the point where maybe it's handmade out of, like, Play-Doh or... And very colorful. It's colorful. And it it has its own language, basically. Or there's, like... I think you could have like a fingerprint of like a dirty paintbrush fingerprint. Like you had paint on your hand, you grabbed it. But the fact that I created that early on was so important to me. Where I was like, okay, you know exactly what the lens is. I always loved the album art of the Pink Floyd album art with the triangle. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the triangle. So you put in whatever product and it comes out colorful. And so I was that prism. Also like there's one employee at the time and it's Column. If I could pay for my rent, I could pay for, like, little jobs for my friends. And I was always exchanging, so I had this storefront. So when I got kicked out of my dorm for having a storefront, they didn't appreciate that, I move into a store that I find on Craigslist. The third image on Craigslist, a bathtub. I'm like, perfect, I can live there if there's a bathtub. And so I have this storefront that looks real, it's painted, it's got the same energy, and I would let anyone crash. And I would kind of exchange... Where was it? Uh, South Williamsburg, Broadway, and Keep. And so I would kind of exchange, like, living for help. I'd be like, yeah, you can live here as long as you, like, kind of help or do stuff for me. And so I had, like, a ton of group of friends and people that were always willing to help. And so my cost was super low. I didn't pay for anything. I also, like, I'm talking to China. I'm making tech packs. I'm doing the artwork. I'm doing the ad campaigns. I'm doing the tech. So it's like... That's another thing that I think people don't understand. But that's also not scalable, right? Like you as an individual, like there's only... I learned that lesson too when I was doing BOF in the early days, right? Like at some point I started needed to build a team. Like when did you start building a team? Like a week ago. I'm still building a team. It was really... I didn't... I had one employee when LV called. And it was myself. So let's talk... I don't want to... I want to talk about... Before we talk about the LV thing, which is kind of like a major moment for you... I think the LVMH prize was also something that... Huge for me. What happened there? So I do these fashion shows, right? 
I'm getting rejected, rejected, rejected. I get accepted into Paris Fashion Week after three tries, which I'm like, oh my God. And then you put the acceptance letter on. Yeah. I get the acceptance <laughs> letter. But COVID hits. And I just told you I did three or four fashion shows back to back to back in person. Impossibly financially so difficult, physically difficult. I'm selling a little bit, not yeah. nothing. Yeah. But I'm selling like 200K. A year, maybe 100, 200K at that time. I'm doing a lot of collabs, which is helping as well. But I'm fully like, I can't do another physical one. And in Paris, I get no help because I know no one. In New York, I could do a fashion show for $0 tomorrow. Someone would give me a venue for free. So why not just show in New York? Like, why were you fixated on Paris? I did one in New York. No one wrote about me. I did one in Paris. I got breakout fashion show of Vogue. Right. America is afraid to take risks. Paris will take risks. That's so funny because usually people think about it differently. Yeah. In business, people think America's where people are taking risks. But I think you're right. In fashion, it's in Europe. It's in Paris where people are like, there's much more emphasis on the creativity. In America, I was seen as this streetwear kid that didn't go to fashion school that is trying to make a brand, blah, 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 blah. In Paris, I was seen as this creative genius that had made his own way. And I remember being pretty frustrated at New York and the CFDA because I was like, I should be the person you're supporting the most. I literally live down the block. I'm in New York. You see my whole story of how I created it. I'm trying my hardest putting on these shows that I'm fully funding myself that are actually making a cultural impact. I was super into what was culturally coming out of New York. I was part of it in music, art, fashion. I, not that I was like yearning for it, but it was crazy how the perspective changed once I went to Paris. And even though they rejected you for several seasons, yeah. they finally embraced you. Yeah, but even on my rejection, I got that amazing Vogue review. Right. And I loved that Paris had this prestige to it, that all ideas that I did were already on a different platform because I was showing in Paris. It's like when you take your artwork and you show it in like outside on the street or you put it in a gallery. That white wall with those lights and the beautiful setting and the... And the endorsement of the gallery and the, you know, the whole thing. Changes everything. Yeah. Paris was that for me. And I love that. Because I remember being like, I think my work is good. I just think the wall isn't good at the moment. Mm -hmm. So once I get in the right wall, in the right building, people will see the light. When did that happen that you got on the right wall in the right building? So COVID happened. I had done all these fashion shows. The fashion shows were good, but then all of a sudden, now everyone's doing virtual fashion shows. And now this is my playing field. I've done music videos. I've done stop motion. I've done this. I've been incredibly nimble as a brand. All the other brands, you know, this is night and day for them. And they're like, what are we doing? What are these videos? And I think for a lot of these major brand fashion shows, it's like they're renting out a palace. They've got the top models. And that's what makes it really powerful. You're like, okay, but if you strip all the way of that, now we're on the same playing field. It's close to close or ideas to ideas. And so I do my first ever Paris official calendar presentation, and it's a stop motion doll fashion show. And so all the clothes are 10 inches, 
all the dolls are Barbie dolls, but it's shot in the way that looks like a very conventional fashion show. And I had like a runway, I had people in the crowd, I had Anna Wintour in the crowd, I had Oprah in the crowd, I had the Queen in the crowd, and I would cut to them and they'd be like, oh! watching the uh, the show. And then I had all the models. I had ripped off the Barbie heads, and I had, like, Naomi walk. I had J-Lo walk. I had 50 Cent walk. I had Maradona walk. I had all Jackie Chan walk. And so this was what I loved about this. It was, like, the most kid super thing of all time, right? It was stop motion, which I had done, and it kind of made my name in music videos for doing stop motion. It was taking these like inanimate objects and giving them life, which I think is the ethos of Kid Super. It was a really new perspective and way of doing fashion, and it cost no money. And so I'm like, I remember telling my friends, like, it was great to make it to Paris Fashion Week because we're going to get kicked off because they're not going to consider this a fashion show because the clothes are... S- 10 inches tall. Now all the fashion world's really paying attention because they compared me to all the other videos and I'm blowing them away in ideas and concept and everything. Everyone else does like a lookbook video. And so Dover Street Market calls and like, we need you in the store because Ray saw the video and like Mike Amiri who DMs me like, you're a genius. And, and I'm like, this is like the first time the fashion. That's the real like fashion industry. Real fashion yeah. industry is taking notice. And I'm like, man, I did it so my way. And this is what worked. So I'm like, okay, I'm going full in on these virtual fashion shows. And so I do a short film that's amazing. I do a, one where I ask 300 people what they want to do before they die in a booth in Washington Square Park. And then I take them to do what they want to do while they're wearing Kid Super. So it goes like, I always wanted to skydive, cuts to them in a full Kid Super suit skydive. I always wanted to fall in love, cuts to her in a blind date with another guy who wanted to fall in love full in Kid Super. Family reunion, climbing a where mountain. Where do you get your idea? Because your ideas, like whether it is turning your dorm room into a store or turning a store into basically a communal place where anyone can live, where you can run your business, like where did the ideas come from? Where do you, and when do you get your best ideas? Well, at 3 a.m. I get my best ideas, but it was more of like, what are things I want to do? What are these, like, again, you were talking about like using fashion as like, a way to do other things, I was always like, okay, what ways can I change this? What ways can I use this to open up different mediums? I mean, some of the ideas, like when I ask people what they want to do before they die, the way that came about was I was realizing that I was kind of allowed to do anything in these virtual fashion shows. So I was sitting with my friends and I was like, okay, what if we just like pick our wildest dream and just call it a fashion show? Like let's climb Everest in kid super puffer jackets or let's do this and that. And so I'm like, what's one thing you always wanted to do before you die and I'll call it a fashion show. I kept asking people and like the answers were cool but not great but what I found interesting was the different answers. Like everyone's answers were kind of simple, but the answer was cool. And I was like, well, this is what's magical about this. It's not like the one item. It's the combination of the combination of all these different things. So that's where that idea came from. So while this is happening, I get a DM from Julie Gilhart, who I always give her credit. She goes, you should apply to the LVMH prize. Yeah. And I'm like, I had heard of the LVMH. Did you see Julie last night? Yes. Okay. And I always tell her, I'm like, you're the reason. But I had heard of the LVMH prize from like, you know, every successful designer has gone through it. 
that's young, right? Virgil, Demna, Giacomus, it does lead to success. And so I apply, again, not expecting anything. And then I get like top 20, they email you and I'm like, whoa, this is cool. So while this is happening, I'm doing these virtual fashion shows. It's still COVID. And so they're like, we fly you out to Paris. And the judges are Kim Jones, Virgil, Mark Jacobs, Stella McCartney, Delphine. And I'm like, this is wild. Were you nervous? Yes. So this is funny. So they give you 10 minutes mm -hmm. to present to all the judges. You all get 10 minutes and there's a stop clock. And I'm like, okay, are they going to ask you questions? Like, what is it? They're like, give you nothing. They're just like, you have 10 minutes. And so when I was 10 years old and nine years old, I used to compete in speech competitions. So did I. It helps, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I won my city's speech competition and it was about entrepreneurship, which is crazy to think about. So I had always in the back of my mind been good at speeches. So I go, okay, I have 10 minutes. This is also funny. You got 10 looks. You got a hanger with 10 looks. And I was like, so what's a look, right? So I put about 60 pieces on the rack where everyone else had like six pieces. Like one look was one look. I was like, there's layers. Like you need shirt, suit, jacket, hat, accessories. So I threw everything out there. And the night before, I memorized a 10-minute speech from start to end. I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to give them a chance to ask me too many questions because I know they don't know anything about Kid Super. And I was like, I think my story and why I've done each of these pieces is what's important and special. And so I go for 10 minutes straight, just And I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I snuck in a pen camera. Really? And I recorded it. Because I was like, this is going to be It's epic. an important moment. It's an important moment. And I wasn't doing it on some like, I'm going to get them. F I was just like, in my life, I want to look back on this. And it wasn't for anyone or for uh, uh, this. It but wasn't what, for publication. No, it no, was no. for private consumption. But what's amazing about it is I have a dialogue between me and Virgil. And this is my first time meeting Virgil and like, you know, super big for me as an American designer and more of a streetwear designer. Do you remember what he asked you? Yes. And he was like, this is kind of a big question. I haven't asked anyone, but he's like, how do you want to see the fashion industry involved? And I like recorded it, blah, blah. And so when I was presenting for LV for his thing, like after him, I was like, this is how I want to see. And it was pretty special full circle story, but I was so proud of myself for recording it. Cause you know, now I have that document and it's a sh super shaky camera. And I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm gonna get the f prize. I think I'm gonna get the Karl Lagerfeld. I was like, give me that. It's like, don't give me the number one, but you can give me the Who Karl won the number one that year? Nancy Dojaka. Dojaka. Okay, so there's, there's 10 of us. We're all obviously gossiping a little bit in our heads, who's gonna win, who's not gonna win. In my mind, she's not even coming close. And when she came out of the talk, her face was bright red. And she was like, I don't think I did very well. And we're like, yeah, she's not winning. And then when she won, we were so happy because, again, it wasn't also like, you know, you're a competitive. That's not a competitor of mine. It's like such a specific right. style. So different. So you, different. Yeah. And she was so scared and humble when she came out of her 10 minutes that it was just felt really good for her to win. And by the way... She's extremely talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And precise. Exactly. In her design, right? It's like a really different approach. So yeah, when I got that Karl Lagerfeld prize, I knew, I was like, okay, I'm going to stretch this to the universe. I was like, no one's going to think I didn't win the whole thing. 
What did that change for you, getting that prize? Now the fashion world was like, okay, he's no longer this crazy thing. He's a real designer. And yeah, it just kind of changed all your ideas from like fun, crazy ideas to brilliant. And that was what I was kind of needing a little bit. And it was what I was talking about with Jeremy Scott, where I was like, how did he get that? You know, some of his ideas can be seen as silly or you put them in a different context and they're brilliant. And that was a thing I guess I was searching for. But it was still COVID, right? And so my last fashion show I did was a pilot episode of a TV show of what Kid Super, if there was a show about Kid Super B. And what was so funny about it was Mark Jacobs was a mentor from the LVMH Prize. And so I was like, hey, Mark, you know, you're part of my mentorship. Would you mind or want to be in my fashion show? I have this funny idea of you coming into a party in this script of a TV show. And he kind of had to say yes, which was funny because, like, in his voice, he wanted to do it, but also was like, didn't, you know, it was a lot to ask Mark Jacobs to be in this silly scene. So anyways, Mark Jacob agreed to be in it. And he was like, I have 45 minutes etc etc and so he pulled up and all he had to do was walk in and we basically were like is that mark fucking jacobs and it pans to mark jacobs and then i was like one of my favorite things that mark jacobs has is the tag where it goes like mark by mark jacobs in collaboration with jacobs for mark and it's like this million thing and so the joke was i go up to him and i'm like you know you have mark by mark blah, 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 blah. you ever think about throwing a little kid super in there and he just walks away and That was also, again, amazing to, like, because I won this LVMH thing, now I got Marc Jacobs in my short film. Pretty amazing. So then COVID ends, and we're back into uh, real life. And I do this auction fashion show, which I think to this day might be one of the best fashion shows ever. (laughs) And But it was your invitation to the fashion show was a paddle with a number on it. The models walked out, a painting with what the models were based off of comes out. I had the number one Christie's auctioneer, Lydia Finette. She goes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Super Bees. Play on stuff, the bees. Our first painting starts at $7,000. And the whole crowd laughs because no one knows what's going on. And I'm in the back like, Oh my God, this is my whole concept. 24 paintings, 24 looks, and no one's going to bid. They're all just going to laugh. And Lydia realizes that they're not understanding it. And so she starts fake bidding. Can I get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000? And it's not like on, a, on some illegal thing. It's just to inspire people. And so people start looking like, oh, we're supposed to bid. They look at their invitation like, oh, it's a number. And then the crowd starts bidding. And we're like, do they know it's real? Do they not know it's real? Who knows? But it starts getting intense. And the last painting sells for $210,000. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the best show. And then the last painting after that, the woman walks out. I don't know if you saw, but it went super viral. She's in the canvas. Her face is painted. She walks out. The canvas falls beautifully on her. It looks like a dress. And so this is like, I'm like, man, this is fashion shows. It's got everything. It's unique. It's got the theatrical element. It showcased my artwork. And what I loved about Paris was that you do it in Paris, your paintings are worth 200K. You do that in New York or wherever or uh, not on a fashion week, I'm probably selling 5K, 10K. Again, this like beautiful white wall that is Paris fashion week kind of elevated all my ideas. So when did... 
Michael Burke contact you about Louis Vuitton? So I get this cold email from their assistants and I think it's the LVMH prize. Yeah. I'm like, okay, they're just following up. Now I get to meet Michael Burke. This is amazing mentorship because Delphine runs the LVMH prize. So, and she's with Michael and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Like, and I'm sitting there like thinking about the questions I'm gonna ask my mentor. Cause I think it's truly the mentorship thing. And, and that's how much I didn't put myself in the running. Because I knew this was something that was happening. They were, you know, you had all the rumors of who was next and, and who they were looking at. This is after Virgil died. This is after Virgil passed away. Yeah. But I didn't put my foot in the running. And I didn't put my foot in the running because I didn't think, it wasn't, I didn't believe in myself creatively. I just think I didn't represent what the world was demanding after Virgil. I'm a white kid, I'm from New York, like I don't have, I'm straight, I don't have like whatever. You're uh, not a marginalized identity. And I thought that that's what the world was asking for. And I was like, don't even want that pressure, Loki. Not that I don't want it, I was like, they wouldn't want to put it on me. So I get this cold email and they're like, would you want to pitch? And I'm like, what? Yeah. And they're like, how much time do you want? And I'm like, how much time does one get? I'm like, is this a day thing or like a six month thing? And they're like, how's two and a half weeks? I'm like, perfect. I hang up and I'm like, all of my friends I call and I'm like, no one's doing anything for the next two weeks. And I like get a whiteboard and I goodwill hunting ideas. And I'm like, this is this, this is this, this is how we're going to present it, blah, 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 blah. And I end up making like a 500 page book. 3D print, three shoes, a belt buckle, make four bags, shoot three commercials. And so I think I just kind of proved not only my work ethic, but my ideas. Didn't think I would get into the room, but once I got into the room, I was like, hey, there's no one who's gonna outwork me. There's no one who's gonna be able to come up with more ideas. And that's kind of how it happened. But I obviously had to present like six times. I think I presented like four times, yeah. Who was the last person you presented to? The big man. Mr. Arnaud. Yeah. And what did he say? You know, you have a lot of meetings with people and like they'll check their phone or they'll look like a little bit uninterested. He was incredibly present, like to an extreme amount. And I was like, man, this is pretty incredible. So when you did that show, there was a mixed reaction to the show, right? The Vuitton show. Yeah. And then ultimately, you know, they appointed someone else. They appointed Pharrell to do yeah. that. How did that feel afterwards? Like, were you hoping that they would pick you? Is that what you thought it was for? I wasn't expecting anything. I think I did a great job for the time. I mean, like, you know, I only did the clothing. I didn't do the performance or yeah. anything. That was like the Rosalia thing yeah. and all that stuff. Which I think that's also one of my strong suits would be like the theatrics of everything. But I, I didn't have uh, too much say in that. But it wasn't that I wasn't expecting or expecting. The person that I was super close with or got super close with was, was Michael Burke. Who's an amazing man. And got a great sense of humor, which is really important to, uh -huh. obviously, me. I'm always joking around. What an amazing journey. Crazy. An amazing story. And you, you tell the story so well. And I think, I know I'm going to get tons of feedback about this conversation because you've been very honest and open about everything that you've shared. And I've, I've really enjoyed listening. Where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit. I stretched what I, a little screen printing t-shirt idea into 
where I am now, so I think I can stretch this into something quite big. Now it's about the team and building the team and working on the business aspect of it. And I think I established Kid Super as big as I wanted to in terms of like the vision and what it represents. And now I got to figure out, you know, the business of fashion. <laughs> well, that's why you're here. Well, anyway, Colm, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for joining me on the BOF podcast. Yes. Uh, and for everyone out there, this is a really good episode. I'm sure there's tons of lessons for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. Your favorite episode yet? <laughs> one of, definitely one of my favorites. Just because it was filled with so many amazing stories and so much honesty, and you kind of cut through the bullshit. Yeah, we're not PR trained. <laughs> no, but that, you know, sometimes those, those layers of PR, they like remove the authenticity of an interaction. So I appreciate that it was one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio team. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.